0: Listeners, in this episode I talk with Phil Haynes and Leslie Howard, both the authors of the new book, a book of many authors, The Indi Way. Phil is a central figure throughout the Indi story. He's the local Indi Votes campaign manager and is married to the current member for Indi, Helen Haynes. Leslie is a contributor on NoFibs, doing all the sub-editing work these days, sorry Leslie, and over the years has taken an increasingly active role in the growing Community Independence Movement. Welcome to both of you. Phil, I'll start with you. After four election wins, why now? Why write the book now? Uh,
1: That's a good question, Wayne. I think we were keen to, and we being the community who's kind of developed this movement or sparked it, I think we're keen to try and reflect back over 10 years and talk about why this happened and what happened and a bit about how it happened. Um, So 10 years, it started in Indi, Um, something amazing started back in 2012, the 2013 election. Um, It kept happening in Indi over 2016 and 2019. And then something happened beyond Indi. So I think we're trying to put our contribution to what's happened nationally with independence and the movement in that broader context. So it kind of made sense to do it after the ten years had elapsed. So try and tell the story more broadly across within Indie and beyond Indie. Um there's a lot of authors in it.
0: And <laughs> and and a lot of people probably look at it and think well Kathy and Helen don't have much of a part considering they're they're huge figures in the whole story. So why so many authors? And why Kathy and Helen not a bigger part of
1: the book? Uh, let me start with the second bit first. So <clears throat> I, I would say that Kathy and Helen are big parts of the book, but they haven't written big parts. Sometimes. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've, they've written. Contributed. In terms in of way. Kathy, she's done a, an observation at the start, kind of a, mm. a preamble, and Kathy's and, and, and Helen's done a postscript. So they've contributed, but the book, they are central parts of the book. The reason we've got so many authors is that when we got together in uh, 2020, in January 2020, to talk about writing this book and about 15 people came to my house in Wangaratta. Um, when we discussed how we might approach this, um, it became very clear that the most important part was <coughs> we had to try and reflect the story of the many people who contributed to <coughs> forming Voices for Indai and being involved in the campaigns and beyond Indai. So, Therefore, no one person could tell the account. Um, I think all the books that have been written to date about different independent campaigns and independent members of parliament have been written by journalists, um, and that's fine. That's excellent. Um, We were keen to tell a, a primary source story, so tell the story from the perspective of those who got involved and did the stuff and the many people who contributed. So... I guess having 12 authors uh, made for a much more complex project. And I recall speaking to um, Carolyn Hendricks, who's a professor of policy and politics at the ANU, some years ago, about writing a, a collective book. And she'd done one with two academic colleagues, and she told me it took them seven years to get it to publication. So I think that was a bit of a, a tale about how difficult this things can be, um, having 12 made it even more complicated. So yes, it was a complex process and a more detailed process than perhaps what we'd envisioned in, envisioned in many ways. But I think it was important to try and get as many people's voices in the book as possible. So that's the reason for having many authors. And certainly initially, um, when I spoke with Henry Rosenbloom last year, uh, the publisher of Scribe, his first comment was, I don't like collective books. Um, because they read really like academic textbooks, but when you read our manuscript, you said, "I think your book can actually work as a collective book." So that gave us well, great it,
0: it, Uh It is. I noticed that that the some of the some of the chapters kind of jump around a bit, and that doesn't make sense until you reach a little bit further into the book, and then it's like, "Yeah, that makes sense. Why you told me that then, right?" it sort of it has got a flow to it, even though it doesn't yeah. feel like it. Once you get a part way into the book, you, yeah, it's it's a different sort of flow.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a good point. So I, just to reflect back on Henry Rosenbloom's comment um, about collective books, often academic texts are written as kind of separate chapters which don't have a connection. They might address a particular theme, but they don't flow as a story. So I guess our challenge in having separate authors and separate chapters was to try and create a narrative, which did develop over the course of the book being read um but still gave people enough um scope to be to reflect their particular styles of writing um so it does jump around a bit in terms of yes we talk about the 2013 election then we talk about the branding as a more generic thematic approach branding across the whole four campaigns um the question was where would you put that into the story which makes sense so we had to try and um, it wasn't just a chronological story it was a mixture of um, chronology and broader issues like branding use of word use of orange what happened beyond indi um, the various engagement processes which we ran so trying to input those into the story in a place which made sense so um, it is a bit of a combination of a chronological uh, reflection and also a thematic approach i guess Um, i hope it works it certainly was a challenge to try and those things together. And we had many discussions and debates amongst a group of, um, it was more than 12, there were 12 authors, but a group of about 17 who were involved in the whole project from the start. Mm-hmm. And we had obviously editorial input at different times too to try and help us um, learn how to do this and hopefully create a story which does make sense and is readable. So I think the key part is we hope it is from the reader's perspective, an interesting tale or yarn. Um, and it, it does make sense to them and it does encourage people to actually do it themselves. Leslie. Yes. Since
0: um I think it was back in two thousand and fourteen, uh when you wrote um participation anecdote the cynicism, you remember that piece you wrote? Yeah, no and fibs your interest yeah. in Indi has kept growing since then and now you're a, a contributor on 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 No Fibs. Um Quite a big role, really, because you do all of our subbing. Um, and you've also got a chapter in this book. What sparked your interest and, and a growing interest?
2: Well, I guess um, with, um, like everybody else, 2013 was an amazing election um, and I watched it, I went, you know, not being in India. And what I wanted to know um, was um, not just the nuts and bolts of a campaign. I, I actually wanted to try and understand how how the people, won being their best self, how they, they kept as a community and a collective and grew, grew the volunteer base with the values and just that premise of being your best self. So I actually went to uh, Indy Shares, which was the 2014 one, and that was the first time I met you, Wayne, and the first time I met um, Margot. I wrote a piece about that. That was the first thing I wrote on Indi for No Fibs and it yep. sort of went from there. So the the one that um, Indi talks with Tony Windsor and Simon, um, uh, oh, I've forgotten his name, what, um, the ethics bloke. Um, Simon, wrote, the long stuff. That's yeah. it. <laughs> um, so, and I wrote about that. That was actually the one um, that really engaged me in, it's more than just what somebody else has done. It's... It, Kathy, in a way, challenged people, as Kathy always has a call to action, she actually challenged people on the day, so I've listened to you, I've heard you, you've talked about this, now what are you going to do? And it was the first time I thought, I know it sounds simple, but the first time I realised it was my responsibility to act, not just to listen and and follow. And so I kept on writing for No Fibs with their their different things. I got involved more specifically after the two thousand and nineteen election because two thousand and nineteen was when Indo went beyond its own borders. We had um, Zali Stegall winning. There was a whole bunch more um, independent candidates stood, but Zali and Helen's win um, uh, really um, answered two questions, probably for the wider um, wider public. One. Um, It could be done outside Indi. Um, Warringah showed that they could um, successfully elect a community based in um, Candidate and Helen's win showed that um, as she writes in or is quoted in the book that um, the power of the independent doesn't isn't invested in any one person it's something that can be shared and so it provides a long-term possibility for the electorate not just to find the one person but also to find a way of doing politics differently in their own electorates, and from that basis, with a few uh, road trips along the way with Phil and Dennis, uh, and talking to people on Zoom uh, and personally around the country, I was—I just got so engaged with the the people that were. Genuinely interested in making a change in their own communities, not about chucking out um, sitting members, but they wanted to become involved and they wanted mm. to be active, um, and that's that was the beginning of my involvement.
0: It, it's it's quite funny. I have to mention this leading into the 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 two thousand and twenty two the last campaign. I was sitting there thinking, you know, like Helen should win. She should win easily. But then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yes. every time I've been somewhere out of Indi. It's Indi people. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who's actually an Indi campaigning? <laughs> no,
2: no. And it's, it's a, a good
1: point, Wayne, because I can recall back in the 2013 election campaign um, when Safia Mirabella was the incumbent, and very early on in the campaign, she was spending a bit of time in other electorates campaigning, and um, mm. It wasn't until I think they realised that there was something serious happening in Indi with Kathy and her campaign that she thought maybe I need to come home and spend more time there. So I think it's an issue that um, one can never take things for granted, um, the whole issue about complacency. Um, yeah. You need to be in your place, putting forward your policies and arguing the point and supporting the campaign. Um, so that's a bit of a delicate one at times to try and make sure we are focused within Indi but still allow people elsewhere to do what they, what they would like to do and are supported where they need to be. So is the, is the book um, like in shares in paperback form?
0: Because that's the first thing I thought <laughs> uh, uh, when I started reading it, you know, <laughs> I
1: thought this is just in shares in paperback. It's a very good question and you could probably argue that in some part it is. Um, so that's probably a bit about um, how we did it um, and a bit about what we did. I guess... Why we did it is, I would hope it goes beyond what Indy Shares was about. So why did this happen? What was the, what, was the, what were the issues and the swell of thinking in the general context, which actually helped people think that we should do something. So hopefully we go a bit beyond that and try to talk about why it happened here and a bit about why it's happened in other parts of the country over the last so back, few years. Back in 2014, um, when Indy
0: Shares kicked off, What was the thinking behind that? What prompted that idea that perhaps you should be talking to other people and telling them what you did and and sharing that information?
1: A fair bit of it was people ringing up and saying, can you come and talk to us? Um, People had seen what happened in Indi um, in 2013. This was the only seat which the Liberals or National Party lost in the 2013 election, which brought Tony Abbott and his government to power. Um, So it was a landslide victory after six years of labor and a pretty dysfunctional period at that with the swapping between Gillard Rudd and Gillard as prime ministers. So I think people are a bit sick of that. So landslide towards the coalition. Um, So we had lots of inquiries about how did you guys do it? What happened in Indi? Why was Indi different to the rest of the country? So rather than actually keep going out to people into their territory, we said, maybe we should organize something in Indi. And we've always been very open with people about saying what we did. So we thought maybe having some kind of um indice shares event invite people from around the country to come and join us and to be as open as we can and we had different conversations about should we reveal all um and our general v- view has been we are about transparency and trying to encourage more people to get involved in their democracy and participate so let's let's share as much as we can um, Let's be open. And we did put out the the invitation to anybody. They could come even if they were members of a party. They were welcome. It wasn't just about people who had supported an independent candidate or had actually ran. It was anybody who was keen to learn more and get more involved. So that was the premise of our running these events. And that's what's carried through the whole last 10 years. So people used to say, aren't you giving away your secrets? Um And our view has always been we want a better democracy. The more people who who get involved, be it with an independent potentially or with a party, that's a good thing. As we know, there's been a huge decline in in membership of the major parties in the last 20, 30 years, and a lot of people are not engaged. So we were keen to get and encourage people to be engaged in what was happening. So that was the main reason we did it it that that way back in India.
0: So, Leslie, the, the outreach that was going on um, prior to the last election, mm-hmm. what did that, there was a, quite a bit of travelling around. I'm not sure how much travelling around you did. You were doing a lot on Zoom, I know that. So what sort of assistance were you offering to well, various groups around the place?
2: I sort of, um, you know, you know talked with um, Phil and Dennis a fair bit, particularly Dennis. He um, he decided to step away from Voices for Indi to concentrate more specifically on beyond because And um, so that just started with a whole lot of conversations and he he had obviously been speaking with people over the years beforehand, so he had a groundwork of people interested. And from that... Um, he he was more more correct me if i'm wrong phil but he was much more interested in the community engagement and building um people's confidence to get engaged not not Mm. campaigns and stuff like that where i came in and i suppose for my own self what i did was i looked at um all these independent campaigns back to 1990 the serious ones not the, the little ones And I wanted to, being a statistics-based person, I wanted to see if there was some kind of mathematical relationship across all these electorates um, that had produced independence or had um, an independent hadn't quite made it. And I got a general feel then for how voting patterns went. And it's It's very hard for somebody might say, "Oh, that's no use. That's a safe seat." So you know this is the way the preferences flow. But what an independent, and particularly a community independent, looks at is not what's happened so much in the past, but the gaps, the gaps between. So people, when they've only had two parties predominantly to vote for, end up in one basket or the other, and there might be some smaller, minor, little parties. Or, or independence and that is the, that's part of the gap. People are looking for somewhere else but they have nowhere else to go when it comes down to the final two. So these independents were people that gave their electorate another choice and came into a two candidate preferred outcome and I just really wanted to explore that. So my part, I guess after 2019, talking to uh, different people in different electorates was to talk about their electorate in those terms, for, not tell them what to do but get them to think about when they're engaging with their community, uh, how to think about their past voting patterns, where people might um, you know, come from who might support an independent or if they can't quite support them with a primary vote, give them the, the, the next preference. And mm-hmm. so that sort of complemented, I guess, um, what Bill um, and Dennis were talking about. And some, a lot of that was on Zoom, particularly because of, of COVID, but some great road trips. So I feel and um, Dennis did many more than I did and got themselves bogged in the Wimmera and all sorts of other interesting things going on. But I just loved meeting the people and the generosity of people who just wanted to, to listen and, and to learn and then ask questions. And it,
0: It's funny because in some ways I, I, I sort of think, the whole COVID thing, the fact that suddenly Zoom became a thing, I I can't help but feel that actually helped the movement at oh, the twenty twenty two election.
2: Yeah, particularly in regional areas, which um like the, the city electorates you could walk around in a day. Um regional electorates um it it's days and you can't walk. Um so uh, the geography has been something that's always been a, a problem in a lot of these um, regional electorates. But Zoom, Zoom sort of overcame it. So rather than everybody having to turn up to a meeting in an evening after work, probably drive a long time to get there and drive back, all of a sudden people were sitting in their um, living rooms or studies and joining up um, with over vast distances. Um, and so it, it didn't impede upon... Uh, geography became no longer such a large problem in the in the beginning yeah. instances. Obviously, engagement and you know, building up to an election campaign, geography is still you have to actually touch people personally and, and stuff. But the engagement side was certainly enhanced by Zoom, I think.
0: So these these um, independent campaigns they 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 kind of take on a a, a, a momentum of their own, right? Now, I've heard. People say many times, you know, getting involved politically, particularly in rural areas, can have really serious personal consequences or business consequences, et cetera. So how is it in I can't remember how many, I think it was around 400 volunteers in the first campaign, wasn't it? Yeah, about 500. Every campaign, is, yeah, it keeps yeah, growing. So, yeah, so you yeah. know, like why, I think the last one was about 2,000, the last campaign? Was about to oh, we had about eighteen hundred
1: signed point. up to the the values, yeah, yeah, um, and got involved in the campaign at different in different ways, yeah. So it's grown each each campaign, Wayne. So wh- why
0: why why have people? I guess I guess you know, like why have people stepped outside of that fear? And now, yeah, um, they they've stepped they've stepped outside of that fear, and 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 they've stepped into that space that they normally wouldn't have jumped into. What's driven that? that change in in thinking you know like to, to throw away that um that fear of repercussions because you're getting involved politically what do you, what do you think's driven that
1: bill yeah it's a great question Wayne. um probably a few comments i would make um the first thing to say is that um politics does fascinate many people you've only got to look at how much time the media devotes to talking about political issues at a local state or federal level that Australians are interested. They don't always engage, um, but they are keen to know what's going on. They're keen to have have a better life and a better society. So that's the first point I'd make. I think when you look at politics from the outside, it can look pretty vicious and nasty and toxic. I think what we showed back in 2013 though, is if you do get involved and you can create a reasonably safe place, people actually enjoy it. They enjoy the fact that they're doing something with purpose. They can contribute in a way which is meaningful and they can find a way which means their skills can be utilized and it could range from anything from um, being an in maker and making different articles to sell to help the campaign. It can be stumping up to the polling booth and handing it out of our It can be a whole bunch of different ways that people can get involved. And I think the key part there is that as people you know, do get involved and they realize this is safe and it's fun and it's meaningful, they tell their friends and they tell their neighbors and they tell their family about this. And that brings other people so that's what makes this it is a grassroots approach it is a people type movement Um, and the more people who get involved they spread the word i guess and people do enjoy the fact that it's such an important and meaningful thing in fact i've heard lots of people say and especially some friends down in melbourne who got involved in kooyong and goldstein um, they used to go for their walks each morning with their t-shirt on the Monique Ryan or Zoe Daniel T-shirt, and they were stopped by so many people who said, this great work, I wish you well, etc." And they found when the campaign stopped and they took the T-shirt off, a big part of who they'd been the previous couple of months kind of disappeared. So people enjoy the fact that they can do something and get involved. In terms of a business, obviously that's a different matter. If you live in a country town and, and run a business, you probably don't want to be seen to take a particular side because you might disenfranchise those who don't support that particular candidate. So I guess you'd tread a more careful path. But what we did there too was we found different ways that people could show some support. So the whole issue about our brand colour was orange and we developed the cockatoo as a way to try and show that you are part of it without being in people's face and people might put up a orange cockatoo on a fence or in a tree. We had these orange cockatoo brooches you might wear that and that's just a bit of a nod to say that you're kind of a supporter and think this is good without actually being out there saying vote one Kathy McGowan or vote one Helen Haynes. So there's different ways that people could show support and interest without going the full Monty and putting a huge sign on their front garden saying vote one for a particular person. So I think finding those spaces which were safe for people to engage with was a key part of our four campaigns and it's helped each year grow the level of interest My final point would be, uh, we've done a couple of big surveys after each of the campaigns about what motivated you as a supporter to get involved in the campaign and what would motivate you next time to support someone else. And one of the key parts was, it wasn't so much about who our candidate ran against, it was about the values and integrity in particular of the candidate. So if people see someone standing as as an independent candidate who they have respect for, and they think this person, if it was Kathy or Helen, has the fundamental values that will be lead to being a good representative. They're much more likely to get involved and support that person. It's not about opposing the other side or about opposing the other candidate. It's about supporting someone they think can do a good job. So it's that positive approach, if you like, uh, not the negative, fearful stuff that so many of the campaigns by the major parties have been focused on in recent times. So... That'd be my fairly long-winded answer to your short question, will <laughs> <laughs> um, Actually,
0: you mentioned Hu um, Yong and Goldstein, and I did want to touch on the whole Teals thing because, to me, it's a it's a bit of a false it's a bit of a false flag in a way, <laughs> right? I, I I look at the 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 various camp well the campaigns that I visited, especially during the um during the the election campaign. And they're all so different. To me, they're they're notable more through their differences. There's a a base level common denominator in the values and the the way the participation is is created. But as soon as you move above that, they all look like different beasts. Uh, Is media underestimating what's going on here and trying to group them all together? Is there an and I guess it's just an easier narrative to sell in the newspapers, right? Is
2: Um, is there an
0: underestimation of what's going on?
2: I think definitely because part part of the I understand the media wanting to have a simple word to describe something, um, but I, I think a lot of people don't even actually understand who or what a teal is. And sometimes David Pocock is a teal, sometimes he isn't a teal. Um, and, you know, there were so many um, candidates who ran and almost or um, well, brought it to a two-candidate preferred but didn't win. Are they teals or aren't they teals? Um, it seems now yeah. teal is the only way, is a shorthand way to describe some people who won um, in the last, you know, in the 2023 election and I guess it's, it's an easy way to get a point across but there's also, it can also homogenize all these people and that's not as you pointed out it, every campaign was different every every electorate was different so it's not it does go back to what you said it, it is an underestimation uh using that well uh,
0: you know like i look at look at um koo and goldstein and they're basically they're respectively next door to one another Really well, you
2: know, hey! I I live in I'm between them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, but they they're close enough to being next door to you know compared oh, to whatever. a place like Indo, right? They're close <laughs> yes. enough to being next, door. but they're so different. And mm. and then, you know, I wasn't Goldstein. I was certain Goldstein was was I was certain Zoe was going to get up. I wasn't sure about kuyong right? But then part way through the campaign, it it started looking like Indai. The way they were controlling the media, they were using social media to drive the 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 um, news cycle in the same way that the Indai kids, I call them the Indai kids, I weren't exactly kids, um, <laughs> the same way that they were using social media to drive the local um, media cycle. Kuyong were doing the same on a national scale and I thought, at that point I thought, oh, okay, they're probably going to get up. Um, So, you know, like you you, you have those two electorates sitting right next to one another, well, not quite right next to one another, that to me look different because, you know, like Zoe's whole strategy was around um, trying to create her own media rather than trying to bust into the the Melbourne media. Um,
1: What's your thoughts on that? pill uh, it, it's a fascinating question actually around the whole teal stuff and I, I can understand why the media the media wants to try and have pretty simple labels to try and help them write mm. the stories or produce their their content for tv so I, I i understand that and i guess there were some overarching issues which kind of pulled together some of those candidates so the issues around climate, integrity and women um, were kind of linking some of the candidates so that I can then see why they then said these are the other teal candidates. But it's also interesting that it's only women and people like David Pocock, even though he did receive a lot of funding from Climate 200, um, and he's made it clear that he he was not a teal, but he's never been grouped together with um, the six women. So is it more a women's... Um, grouping than perhaps a, a broader one. So I think the media's been a bit lazy, um, but I understand why it's happened. But I think what's happening now, if we look at the parliament, the first 12 months of the new parliament, with the largest ever crossbench, um, so 16 on the crossbench, or 17 now, with um, the member for Clare coming across to the crossbench some time ago, um, most of those are women. So the crossbench does look much more um, diverse than perhaps um, it was previously and i think more and more we'll see the crossbench um its diversity come through so each member will have different issues they'd like to push on so the issues of of women integrity and climate are still important but there's other things now coming to the fore housing um donations reform in the parliament etc they're now coming through and each of these different independents are often focusing on one or two key issues and trying to push those as the agenda so i think we'll see hopefully a more nuanced Um, discussion and reporting of what's happening on the crossbench and in the parliament, being driven in large part by the crossbench and these independent people. And I think if you do look at um, debates in the parliament, not just to focus on question time, which of course we all know is is performance and pantomime, (laughs) um, but if you look at some of the the more serious discussions, it's often the crossbench who are putting forward reasonable amendments to bills from the government. They're the ones who have the who raise the debate and contribute in a very meaningful way. So I think that over time will have a more result in a more nuanced, I hope, um, reporting and, and discussion about what they're doing in the end of parliament. So I think that's going to change yeah. over time. It's sort of interesting because, I, uh, you know, like
0: there are, there are some issues that tie not just the so-called tools but all of the um, uh, community independent campaigns together. Yeah, but yeah. when you really dig into it, yeah there's climates in there, but it, it's it's all an expression of of um the local experience that's driving it rather than you know like it's not it's not a national narrative exactly because you know Kuyong are thinking about well, how do we get people um in blocks of units to to renewable energy? How can we do that? whereas india it's it's a different focus.
1: And I think a key point there, Wayne, would be that um, so the title of our book is The Indi Way. um, Yeah. And I think that reflects maybe a different compact or a different understanding between the Member of Parliament and the people, the communities of Indi. So it's not just about us expecting our MP to always do stuff for us and we vote them in and then we forget about it for three years and then come back to the next election. It's more than that. So I think The Indi Way is about an ongoing connection between the member of parliament and the communities and the people in those communities and helping the member helping those people develop the skills they need and to bring forward the issues they would like to have uh, brought to the, the attention of governments to help them do it so it's not just about the member doing it, it's also the communities uh, mobilizing having the skills to actually push forward the issues which they think are important so that's kind of the Indo way it's this relationship between the member and the communities that's a bit different, I reckon, to the major parties. I know, of course, many local members in, in the parties, of course, they have a connection with their electorates. They wouldn't get voted back if they didn't. But in between the member and the people is the party. Um, and the party will have its own particular policies. It's got its own fundamental ideology, which drives the policy um, decision-making. Um, that's always there. We don't have that with a, with a local independent member. Um, and I think that's a key difference. They can represent always the needs and wants and issues which are top for their people. Um, so the Indo Way is a way to try and bring that to the fore and help the issues that are important to people get more traction, um, both by being led by the communities but also with the support and the times leadership from our local member. The Yes
0: 23 campaign... I look at the the, the the structure of that and there's elements in there that reminds me of Indi campaigns. Um, you know, the way that Yes23 is the, obviously the voice for parliament campaign for people who don't know what Yes23 is, um, it seems to be an umbrella campaigning umbrella organisation sitting over the top of a whole lot of other local organisations and groups and people all around the country and they're setting up a network and I look at that and I go, oh, well, that's kind of like Indi and the Hubs, isn't it? <laughs> you know." And there's a certain level of what you eventually, what the Indi mob eventually called radical trust. Um, do you see similarities in the the way um, the S yes twenty three is approaching,
1: the way they're structuring their campaign? Uh, and to be honest, I haven't looked at it closely enough to understand exactly how it's working, but. To pick up your characterisation um, of it, I think if that's the way it is happening, then that is quite similar to what we did, have done in Indi over the last four campaigns. So having an overarching strategy and a pretty well, simple... Well, you can
0: go into their website and yep. you can punch in your your, your um, postcode and it'll yep. tell you the local groups around the area. Okay. so it's, I will um... do that
1: once we finish this podcast. Away. There's I'll none in Indi, I to... looked. Oh, <laughs> right. yeah. Okay. Um, We're a bit slack up here. So just to come back to your key point though, I guess um, this idea of radical trust, which wasn't our phrase, but we picked it up from what's been happening in the US, mm. it is really about having all those who sign on to the values and that was the fundamental starting point. To be involved in the campaigns you had to sign on to these values of um, integrity, transparency, inclusivity. And as Leslie as said before, that's kind of characterized with a simple slogan of be your best self. So that's kind of the starting point with an overarching strategy with some clear goals and then to help all the volunteers do what they thought was the best thing to do in their particular town or area. And as you pointed out too, Wayne, the hubs, which are kind of our campaign offices in different towns, provided a fantastic place to meet, to socialise and to go out and engage with people. So they often look quite different. Those hubs are the secret source of the campaigns. And people love them. Yeah. People... I I think Helen talks about them being kind of clubhouses, and they are. It's a place for people to meet and gather and support each other and talk about things, but the most important part is then to go out and engage with others and perhaps bring back people at different times to do stuff. So they were critical, and we were very conscious that each town may have a different way to try and decorate their hub or what they might emphasise in the campaigns there. So we said, you go and do that. Here's the overarching strategy we've worked on try and adhere to that as best you can and be your best self and off they went. So if that's what you think the Yes 23 campaign's about, then I think that is quite similar.
0: I'm not saying that it's designed off Indy's no, campaign, no, but, but it's got that sort of similar flavour to it, you know, mm-hmm. like that sort of it's devolving down.
1: Um, yeah, And I guess that's how many, but, you know, if, if it's a people's movement, which I would Characterise what we've done in, in Indi as a people's movement, and I think what's happened across the board at the twenty the twenty twenty two election um, with all these different independent campaigns up and running, I think that is they are very much people movements. So if you have people movements, you can't control all that people do. You want people to be creative to bring innovation to what they're doing. Um, yeah. That's the power, and that's our big advantage. We obviously don't have the money that the big parties have, but what we have, which they have less of, each election campaign, are people. people. And if yes. we have people who are highly motivated and want to get involved and enjoy doing what they're doing and hence they'll come back and do it again, um, giving them some agency to go and do things which they think can work in their particular part of the area is really important. Um, I don't know if either of you
0: have looked at the Victorian Women's Trust um, Together Yes campaign. Have either of you looked at yeah. Looked at that?
2: Yeah, just um, um, with I mean, Mary Cook's he, involved with that. Um, and so yeah. with the kitchen table conversation, she's a, she seems to be the, the binding thread uh, through all this and with Indi um, and now and other electorates using that same sort of model of, of, of discussion. So
0: what they've put together there, it's obviously a little bit different because whereas the, the kitchen table conversations in the context of um, the community independence is more about going out to find what the community wants what the community is thinking whereas this is a little bit different because you're going out there and and sort of selling it more in a a traditional uh, the traditional way that a, a a political party might go out and sell their their because you're wanting you're wanting um a result here right rather than it's, a, it's sort of the other way around how do you see that working then leslie
2: Uh, I don't don't know enough about it. I'd have to really um, have a good look. But in a way, it it is the same as um, um, in the electorates. First and foremost, you want to hear what people think. Um, And rather than sitting in your silo of I'm a yes voter or I'm a no voter, you sit um, with people around a table and somebody might um, bring up a thing about the constitution other people might be really worried that um, you know one one group of people will have more more rights or more say over something so it's important to listen to what people think first and gather the issues that are important to them not just disseminate perhaps um, an overarching view of of whether which way you should vote so I would challenge you a bit on that that first up and foremost it is gathering together and listening to other people to understand what other people actually think before then um, prosecuting one particular uh, case.
0: Yeah. uh, uh, Yeah, Yeah, you're probably right to challenge me on that. (laughs) But it is is a a slightly different sort of um, approach. Phil, probably particularly for you, um, because you've you've um, come up against Advance Australia, so I'm quietly confident, right? Partly because Advance Australia is running their campaign, right? I, I see Advance Australia as an astroturf operation, basically. Um, <laughs> you've run against what two or three campaigns they've been involved? In uh, two, of yep. yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it was 2019 <clears throat> was the first one, was it? Yep. I think. Um, what's the what's the real strength to the sort of grassroots campaigns against that sort of, you know, big money um, astroturfing operation that's basically built around a media strategy with lots of mail-outs and the odd stunt here and there?
1: Yeah, um, interesting question. So I, I think it's kind of old-style campaigning, isn't it? You have a centralised Campaign with an overarching strategy and you try and connect to people by mailing stuff out social media There's not much if any direct contact with with human to human. I would say mm-hmm. um, and it's probably mo- based mostly around a Bit of fear or the negativity if you, if you don't understand this referendum you should vote no type stuff Look um, that certainly works to an extent and we saw lots of that back in 2013 uh, where the Liberal Party ran a very negative campaign Trying to link Kathy yeah. to um, Labour and making um, making accusations which were not correct, um, that she was a Labour stooge, and talking about she couldn't repay the debt, etc. Now, that certainly cuts through with some people, but I think what we sh- we've seen over time is people are much more likely now to respond and get involved if there's something positive being discussed. And again, in the end, it's also about the connection with with, with with different people. So you can send stuff through the mail or through emails or through social media, and that will reach some people, of course. Um, but I think the Yes campaign can focus on, as Leslie says, the kitchen table conversations, so listening to other, other, other people's perspectives and then finding ways that people who support the campaign can go out and talk to others. So we used to talk about courageous conversations in our previous campaign, so encouraging our volunteers and our supporters and giving them some sense of um, capacity to go and do this, to go and talk to people. Um, that's the most powerful thing. So if you've got a mass movement, you have many people prepared to go and do things and, and to get involved. If they can be trained or have the confidence to go and talk to, to other people, that's the most powerful way to try and connect people and to change people's perspe- perspectives. Well, so, that's
0: that's kind of what the Yes Together, uh, yeah. the Together Yes campaign is, is sort of aiming at that, uh, yeah. with those kits is... Yeah, giving people the tools that they need to go out and hold those conversations. Yeah, and
1: if it's door knocking, if it's just in the street talking to people, uh, nothing beats the the face-to-face, g'day, what's, how's it going, what do you think about this? Nothing beats that personal asking mm. someone the question or knocking on the doors to do it on their turf. No, nothing beats that kind of approach, I think. Of course, you need lots of people to go and do that, um, which we've had in our campaigns, and hopefully the, the Yes campaign gets that as well. So what's Indi got planned
0: at this stage? I know it's early days and all the campaigns are really only starting to kick off.
1: Well, we hope to have the Minister for Indigenous Australians come to Indi in July. That's still to be confirmed. but That could be a major event. and Hopefully, off the back of that, um, we can build some momentum in terms of getting lots of people to go and perhaps door knock and have conversations. A fair few people are involved, I think, in the kitchen table conversation process um, um so that will kick off in india as well that's obviously a national thing but we would hope there would be yeah. some groups happening in, in india many people have expressed an, an interest i think but now is a time we need to start to, to get things rolled out um, yeah we'll find out this week perhaps when it's going to be it's looking like october so that's not too far away four and a half five months away so I think we've, one thing we've also learned from campaigns is people don't want to get involved for months and months and months. Um, it can take its toll. So I think people tend to hold off until it's getting a bit closer. Um, so maybe yeah, still, uh, uh, yeah, without yeah. a date announced, so I think people are still thinking, yes, this is important. I want to be involved, but they haven't actually stepped forward yet. So yeah, that's the I've challenge. been thinking that myself that, yeah. you know, like uh, the no campaigns
0: already off and flying. And I'm thinking, have they actually gone too soon? <laughs> I'm sure they're
1: focusing on particular states. I don't think they'll focus too much on Victoria and perhaps New South Wales. So obviously the No campaign, as we know, it's a a double. You've got to get a majority of people and a majority of states. Um, I think the majority of people will vote in favour. It'll be the question whether a majority of states vote in favour as well. So I suspect the No campaign might focus more on um, WA, Queensland and Tasmania as potentially a bit softer. The so Leslie, we'll see what happens. You got any? Yeah,
0: you got any plans for for the, 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 the referendum? <laughs> <yeah. laughs> for the referendum, um, you got any plans to get involved in?
2: Yeah, I, it's funny you ask that because I um, you know, we sort of ha- had discussion around our dining room table the other day, which um, I was interested in what other parts of my family thought. And so it made me research more, um, not just from the newspapers and, and stuff, but what what was out there. That's where I started looking at these websites, and there was all these you know uh, pathways to volunteer, which I didn't click on those buttons because I'm not quite ready to commit myself. But I, I yeah, I think I, I need to get active, not just passive, as, as we get closer to the, the time. My, my view, I mean, when talking you know with my husband, I said it, to me it's quite simple in that um, to me it's about the fact that our constitution, as well written as it was, was based on a concept of an empty land, which legislatively we've overturned with the Mabo decision. To me, if our founding document doesn't reflect the, the situations as it was then uh, a change is needed and then the other part uh, I was saying was not to, if you vote yes what harm could come from it if you vote no what harm could come from it and ultimately I don't think there's a lot of harm um, that can come from vote from the yes vote but I think as a nation if we don't pass this we are going to have a lot of um, not just individually, but to our collective um, sense of, of who we are and how we're perceived by other other nations. And so, it, for me, it's quite a simple decision. But I know for a lot of people, it's not simple. There's a lot of fear involved or a what ifs involved, and that's quite valid. And that's that's where the conversations need to to start um, happening is is around people's uncertainties, not just. Our, not just the fabulous bits, but the the, the real the real worries. And as we've seen before, when Marbo happened, as we've seen before with um, the, the marriage um, equality um, postal vote, the earth didn't fall in. We haven't lost our back gardens. Nothing dreadful's happened. Society took a deep breath and moved on. And we've done. We we achieved. We've achieved things. So I'm really hoping the same will happen with this referendum.
0: So, a question for both of you as a a final question. Who do you hope reads this book?
2: (laughs) Phil, you can go with that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have lots of people read it. And look, I guess there's two main groups. I hope the people who have been involved in what we've done in Indo the last 10 years read it and can see themselves in it. I think that's very important that they can see, even if their voice is not directly attributed, they can see the comments. Of others as reflecting what they thought and why they got involved so that's the first group I hope they are proud of the collective effort to try and produce a book which reflects a broad range of views of people who who drove this whole thing in India which has now become a national movement that's the first thing and the second group I hope readers are people who have an interest in democracy and politics, but perhaps perhaps have never got involved. And I hope this inspires them to think, maybe I should get involved and I can get involved. And it's not as scary maybe as what I thought it was. And I don't really care where they get involved. They can get involved with a Voices for group in their particular part of the country. They can get involved in potentially a campaign for an independent candidate. They can join a party. I think the most important thing in a democracy is that people participate. Uh, I just recently had the chance to spend two weeks in Timor-Leste, leading up to the election. Unfortunately, I had to come back before the election was held, but a thing which struck me, here was a country, as we know, with a pretty long history of occupation by the Portuguese, for 450 years, and then occupation by the Indonesians for 24 years, and they've since been independent. And so many people, mostly young people, because the population is mostly young, driving around in their trucks and having rallies and so engaged and involved in their democracy. It was just, it was actually very inspiring. And the votes come through and I think about 85% of people voted eligible people and it's not compulsory. So that energy, that enthusiasm, that absolute passion for democracy was, yeah, I found it very inspiring. So I hope people who perhaps haven't been involved in our democracy, read the book and think, yep, it's up to me to get involved as well. Because the worst thing for democracy is people being indifferent to the whole thing. It's not people doing the wrong thing necessarily, it's people being indifferent and not caring and not not participating. So that's my hope, those two groups, those in Indi and the ones outside who haven't got involved. Please look to ways that you might contribute in whatever way fits your particular skills and interest. Thank you, Leslie.
0: Thank you, Phil.
1: Thanks a lot, Wayne. Thanks a lot, Wayne.
0: Thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed this No Pips podcast. Until next time, goodbye.